Ephesians chapter 5. Alright, this, this month, been focusing out of all of the love that you could talk about, there's one that's hardest to live and hardest to really fix, and that's the love in the home. Not that there's not love in the home, but that usually the devil so twisted it and ruined it so that you don't see it. And our world needs to see what real love is, so God gave us the Bible. Ephesians chapter 5, I want to talk about the husband and wife challenge. The husband and wife challenge. <clears throat> We're in a series on things that I call the home sweet home. We looked at the fixing our foundations. We looked at Isaac Rebecca. Last week we looked at handling problems with uh, Isaac and Rebecca. <laughs> but this week we're going to Ephesians chapter 5, building up to this phrase where the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives. Well, where's that come from? What's the context of it? And when you look at Ephesians chapter 5, it starts off with these, these words. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. And watch the next Four words, and walk in love. And walk, that's a way of saying, and and live in love. Now, the book of Ephesians is one of the most practical and compelling books a Christian can read because it is full of, of the things that make for the Christian life. You want to know how to live the Christian life? Ephesians is chocker block full. It begins with some deep truths. And explanation is about our salvation. Chapter 1, you kind of have to read three or four times before you start to get all the great things that Paul is saying. We're accepted in the beloved. We are blessed with all, heavenly, uh, with all blessings in, in, in heavenly places. But after chapter 1 begins five of the most amazing chapters that are more plain, they're just plain talk, and, and beneficial, there's more information in chapters 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 in Ephesians than you'll find in all the universities and all their libraries put together. Now, smack dab in the middle of the book is half of a chapter dedicated to having a sweet Christian home. That's what we're going to focus this morning. Now, there are three common misconceptions about marriage. You ready? Three common. There's lots of misconceptions, but there's three common ones. The first one is that marriage is a power struggle. Isaac and Rebecca showed us that last week where we learned that they both had their own agenda and they both were manipulating and trying to control the situation. And to many people, marriage is primarily about two individual individuals in competition with one another. The most powerful person wins. So you better make sure you're protecting your interests. Now, if that's what you believe about marriage, then both of you will end up cynical and bitter. Don't forget, after Adam and Eve rebelled, back in the Garden of Eden, God himself said, it's going to have to be a struggle, folks, where a woman's going to desire and a man's going to rule. And it's just a struggle. Don't let your home settle for the lowest form of relationship where it is a power struggle. The second misconception about marriage is that it's an economic partnership. Now, thankfully, up until recently, the tax man gave benefits. If you were married... They overlooked a lot of things and gave you a lot of benefits for getting married. So people thought about, oh, let's get married. We get, we get to keep some of our money. Well, 
some people really believe that it's just economically beneficial to get married. It's kind of like a contract between two people where they each ensure the other person's needs are met. It's kind of like a little business. But if you think of your home only as a, a business or a partnership, you'll focus on management, chains of command, who makes the decisions and who does all the tasks. And so you find in those kind of homes, you find one person in charge and everybody else just, just following orders like a business, but not like a home. Then there's the third one, and that's the fairy tale. That's the Disneyland happily ever after idea of marriage, where people will say, it's, it's, it's just about the two of us. We're, we're fulfilled in each other. We're on a romantic journey together. We don't know where we're going, but we're holding hands. Now, you know, that's wonderful, and, and most marriages should start that way, but that's not how you're going to stay that way, Okay? Love and marriage are supposed to go together, but if you only think of just the romance and how you feel, believe me, it will change. Now, according to Ephesians chapter 5, as we're going to see, marriage is a deeply amazing union of two different people who passionately love Jesus Christ more than they love each other. Let that sink in. That's what marriage is. You say, well, I love her. I hope you do. Well, I love him. I hope you do. But you better love Jesus Christ more. Marriage is about our relationship with God as much as it is about our relationship with each other. So that out of that love that you find for God and find from God, you find the ability to love your spouse like you should. That's what marriage is. Now, by way of background, we've got to start somewhere. And what we've got to look there in verse 1, if you will, it says, I'm sorry, verse 2, it says, walk in love. Now, Paul's writing to Christians. And Marriage is part of the Christian life. How you get along in marriage is for every believer. This is not something for a select few. This is not something that only, you know, some deeply spiritual people and deeply, uh, um, you know, uh, um, incredibly superior. No, this is the Christian life. Look back here in chapter 5. Go back to chapter 4 in verse 17. Chapter 4 and verse 17, I say therefore, Paul says, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth from this point on walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. When he says walk, he's talking about daily living. He says don't live like you used to. You walk differently now. Verse, back there in chapter 5, verse 2, how do we walk? We walk in, what's the last word? In love, as Christ also hath loved us and given himself for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. What an amazing phrase. Walk in love. Verse 8, still in chapter 5, verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord, so walk how? As children of light. Walk out in the open, unashamed. Walk, uh, 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 Walk like like. You've got in for, like you've got the truth, not like you're you're blind. Walk in light. I'll go back to chapter two. You're still in Ephesians, chapter two and verse ten. <clears throat> Ephesians two and verse ten says, For we are his workmanship. We're the product of his work, created in Christ Jesus unto what? Which God hath before ordained, he's commanded that we should walk in our good works. So 
We're supposed to walk in our good works toward one another. It's supposed to be a blessing to one another. Not a curse, not a problem, not a drain, not a, not a thorn, but a blessing. Good works toward one another. And in chapter 5, back to chapter 5, verse 15, one more thing about walking. <clears throat> verse 15 says this, See then that ye walk, and I like that word, circumspectly, which means walk with your eyes in all directions. Circumspectly means completely don't have a blind spot. If you've ever been driving, and whenever you took your, your exam, what did your instructor always check? He made sure that you were looking around, double-checking for blind spots. Remember that? Because you know one, one lapse of, of thinking, you could run over somebody, especially a child, a grandchild. You could, just that blind spot, you could change lanes, not seeing a car coming up or a motorcycle. So walk how? All eyes open in every direction. Watch out for the pitfalls, especially with all the things that you get off of the television today, off the internet, everything that's coming at you. You need to have all eyes open and go, that's not right. That doesn't match the Bible. No, no, no. I'm not going to go that way. Walk circumspectly. So, as part of the Christian life, it requires being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we stay in chapter 5. Go down, starting in verse 18. Be not... Drunk with wine. <laughs> that's the, that's, that's the, uh, the place that people turn to when they got problems in their home. They turn to drink. Turn to a, a pill. They turn to psychologists. The Bible says, be not drunk with wine wherein is always what? You'll never find hope. You'll never find your help in that bottle. But be filled with the Spirit. Again, these instructions are for believers. I'm glad for willpower. I'm glad two people get married, unsaved. They can be any kind of culture anywhere on this planet. And willpower can hold them together. And I'm glad for that. They're supposed to stay together. But if you want to stay together and have a home sweet home, you're going you're gonna to need to get saved and you're going to need the filling of the Holy Spirit if you're going to do it. Be filled with the Spirit. Those who learn to yield to God's still small voice so He can guide you. Because when you're yelling, you ain't listening. Keep going there in verse 18. It says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves. Do you say this to your husband? Do you say this to your wife? Do you say these to your children? Psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. What's your house like? Is it hell hole or is it heaven? Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Verse 20. Giving thanks. How often? I don't like that word any more than you do. <laughs> but the Bible says, giving thanks always. I don't like the next three words. For how many things? Well, I can't do that. Well, we can find some help. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if you're going to do any of that, if, you're gonna, if, 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 if we're going to get to the verses on husband and wives and the challenge that God gives us, you're going to have to start with with. Uh, the Christian walk is saying, like, this is how I have to live. Secondly, I've got to be filled with the Spirit. Third, I've got to learn submission. Look at chapter 5 still. Now run down to verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. What that means is letting go of the control of your life. It's like a steering wheel. Now, I don't know. Sarah's uh, here somewhere. Where is she? Or is she inside? There you go. All right, so Sarah... I have yet to take her out really seriously driving. It's been years since I will, but one of these days we're going to go out driving. And um, 
uh, gonna, yeah, well, pray for me. So anyway, <laughs> no, all my kids have been great, uh, but uh, you put them in the, you, what you first do is you set them down in the, in the passenger seat, you know, they're next to you, and you explain all the things you're driving. Can you imagine if she reached over and says, let me drive right now? I say, whoa, you know, stop the car. All right, I wouldn't trust her, okay? Not yet. It's going to be 25 years until, no, anyway. <laughs> um, somebody reaching over and taking control of that steering column, that steering wheel, and you're traveling 100 kilometers down the road, 120 kilometers an hour. Somebody taking that, and you letting go of that thing and letting somebody else, that's hard to do, would you agree? You've got to trust them. Now, yielding here, this thing of submission, wow. You've got to be able to step back and say, I trust who? Well, I trust my husband. You better not. He'll let you down. Well, I trust my wife. You better not. She'll let you down. She'll burn you. You know you're going to have to trust? The Lord. So that when he says let go, you go, okay, Lord, you're in charge. I went, well, my husband's, yeah, I know. Your husband's making a decision. It's probably wrong. But you're trusting who? Trusting God. So submitting requires a trust beyond what we're used to. And he says this in verse, verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Now, this is crazy, okay? Now, I come up with a crazy illustrations, but you see this guy out there? He's called an astronaut. He's also called crazy, okay? Because he's, he's disconnected from the spacecraft. He's out there. But an astronaut, when he's in training, are you ready? He is given rules. He's given a schedule. He is he's made aware of all the expectations that he has to perform before he ever takes off, doesn't he? And as long as he obeys those instructions from mission control, he'll return home alive. So when he he takes that big step and he branches off like kids do when they first step off into marriage. He's, he's got to know his equipment. He's got to know what's expected. He knows he's got to know how things work and that he can't just do as he wants. He can't just wing it. He can't just, well, this feels good. Well, let's just do this. No. If he deviates, it could not only cost him his life, but cost him the life of his crew. Amen? And when we step off into marriage and we don't know the rules, we don't know what's expected of us, we don't know what God designed and how things work, and we just fly by the seat of our pants. We're not only destroying our own lives, but usually those in our own home. And how many of us were stupid when we got married? Raise your hand. You know that. <laughs> we had no idea what we were doing. Thank God for grace. So let me show you, ladies and gentlemen, how to walk in love this morning so that you can have a home sweet home. Father, would you teach us to speak to our hearts? <clears throat> Help us not to hear the harsh words, but the heart words of the Bible. And let us not put up any defenses. Let us just step back and say, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. This is not about my wife. This is not about my husband. This isn't about anybody but me. And if I find my wine wandering and saying, oh, I wish he'd say that. I wish that preacher would focus on something else. Lord, please, just remind us this is your time. And whatever is going to be said, I pray it would be just what you would say if you were here and that we would hear and we would do. Save our homes, God. Make our homes like they should be. Make them sweet. And if our homes are going to be sweet, it means we're going to have to be made sweet. So work today. All for the sake of our kids. For the sake of this world. 
In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Here comes the wife challenge. You ready? Chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He's the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be subject be to their own husbands in everything. So, uh, it starts with the wife. Don't blame me, I'm just a postman. You say, why didn't he start with the husband? I don't know. I'm just delivering the mail. So, when you hear these words, and he starts off and he says, wives, you know, there's something funny. Most other churches would never go to this chapter, much less to these verses. Matter of fact, in the Catholic Church, they had in their missile, they had once a, once a year, they, they quoted these verses and they got rid of them because so many women got upset. They can't even quote them. We'll quote them. Hopefully we'll believe them. The first thing I want you to notice about this thing, God designed marriage and he starts off and he says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. It's a command. I think God had to make a command. You see, we don't naturally do right very long without rules and without commandments. He says, do it. Oh, I don't feel like it. Do it. Okay. So God commands the wife to love her husband by submitting to him. This is the great revelation. We're supposed to walk in love. Well, how does a wife supposed to love her husband? By submitting to him. It's a command. What does it mean to submit yourselves? Well, not just being nice to your husband. Not just even honoring him. But to submit to your husband means to go out of your way to honor him as the head of your life and the head of those in your home. It means to obey him as the one in charge of your home. You want a home, don't you? You didn't just get a, a you know, a partner. I hate that term. This is my partner. I don't like that. It's like, where's your spurs and your horse, you know? My partner. I hope you didn't get a partner. I hope you got a, a spouse. I hope you got a a husband or a wife, to, to submit yourselves. Now, that's a, that's a choice on your part. Say, I submit myself. To submit yourself means to allow your husband to be in charge. That's it. Not to fight him. Not to make his life miserable when he tries to make decisions and do what he thinks best for your family. Here's another thought. Allow your husband to be the hero in your home. I know you don't, you don't maybe understand that, but this generation, the kids do, because everything on movies and TVs now is all these superheroes. You got Superman resurrected. I thought he died back in the 80s when you know all the comic books went out. Superman and Iron Man. Now all the movies have heroes and all this stuff. Listen, when a husband, when a man and a woman get married, that man wants to be a hero. That man wants to be the provider. He wants to be the one who takes care of big decisions and carries the weight and moves the world so he could please a lady. Let him be the hero. Big things and small things. Let him be great in your home. Honor him as if he's great. You want your man to be great? Tear him down. Make him think he's dirt. That's how you do it, right? Show him every one of his faults. Point him in the mirror and says, you're terrible. That's going to make him great, isn't it? Well, I don't want to lie about it. Lie! Make him feel like he's something, at least to you. Some of you ladies are laughing. It's a good idea. Look what it says there. 
The husband, verse 23, is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the savior of the body. Therefore, the church is, I'm sorry, let me go a little bit further. Take you down there to, um, I've got a verse here. I'm not sure if I'm doing it in the right place. I want to make sure I'm not out of place here. Uh, well, it's a thought I'll come back to. I forget where I'm looking for. But he's this, oh, heck, I get it, verse 23. He said, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior. Is that a big S? Speaking of Jesus? Speaking of the man. He's the Savior of the body. Now, can a man save a wife's soul? Not at all. man can't save her soul, but he can save her body. He can protect her. Remember the old, old movies where the woman is, is tied up on the train track? <laughs> Black and white, man. The good ones, you know. And here comes this guy, you know, and the, the evil guy, going, <laughs> you know, and the train's coming, and there's somebody on the horse. <laughs> What's he going to do? He's come to save the day, amen. You say, my husband never done that for me. Well, I guarantee you, if he's breathing, if he's male, he'd like to. He'd like to. He'd like, in the little things, he'd like to be your knight in shining armor. He'd like to open the door for you and treat you like a queen. He'd like to be a blessing. He'd like to, to be the savior of that home so that people look up to dad and go, dad's awesome. Now, maybe he's not as awesome as tons of other things that we, we're so inundated with images and with people and with information, we forget God gave us our home. And that dad needs to be honored. That husband needs to be honored. It also means, run down to verse 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and, let, and the wife see that she, now here's a big word, reverence him. That means to give him the greatest honor in your home. I know a lot of women who give so much honor to their kids. You heard about the woman who was uh, in line at the, at the uh, post office and standing there, and um, uh, somebody bumped up against her, and she went, Get back, you brute! And it was just, just another guy. She said, oh, I thought you were my husband. <laughs> yeah. You see, when in a home, you better not have that kind of attitude. In a home, there's got to be reverence where you give honor to that man in your life. You married him. Help him. And God said the way you help them is not tear them down, but to reverence them. You give them the greatest honor in your home. Give them more honor than you give your parents. Give them more honor than you give your children. Now, this is not what people have been taught for the past 60 years. Our world has reaped the consequences of the feminist movement that says women and men are equal. In the sight of God, they are. But you know, in a home, if you have two heads, you have a monster. Amen. You need one head. Our world has reaped the consequences with domestic violence, divorces, separation, suicides, crime rates, all out of control. Why? Because husband and wives can't get along. I guarantee you, the core thing is the home. Much as I want to blame the politicians, the politicians aren't the problem with our society. It's our homes. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have nothing to say. You have no say. You are your husband's other half, lady. You're just as important to God as he is. Your soul was purchased with the same amount of Christ's blood as his was. So you have the right to express your fears and worries and concerns, and you can expect to be right an awful lot of times. 
Because God gave a woman an ability to sense things that a man just is dense to. We just don't. So we got to listen. But speak up, ladies. Express your opinions. Express your worries, your fears, your concerns, even your opposition. When your husband's going to buy a car. They just bought a car. But in the end, let him decide. Oh, it got quiet. You're supposed to say amen, Kenny. Okay. Amen. Why is that so hard? In the end, you got to let... Listen, a woman's not supposed to just sit there, yes, dear, yes, dear, yes, dear. You wouldn't do that. You know it. But instead of tearing them down saying, you are stupid. I'm not going along with that. Don't you take my money and use that. For... No, don't do that. Don't do that. Hey, that car's too big. Playing the guy, whatever you guys talked about. I don't know. <laughs> not enough. There's not, it's just, it makes, scares me. Express your opinions. Let him listen. Just, just appeal to him. Talk to him. Express your fears. Tell him, I don't believe you ought to do it. Amen. But in the end, if you're going to submit, what should you do? Let him make the final choice. Amen. That's how you'll love your husband. Because I thought loving your husband meant you fix his favorite dinner. You're going to do that every night? Is that the only way? You're going to have to learn to trust that God knows what your husband's going to do. <laughs> and the Lord can make all things work together for good. You're going to have to trust God instead of trusting your husband to always be right. He's not always right, ladies. Come on, you can say amen to that. You're going to have to believe that God... What'd you say? <laughs> Bill, get over it. Man up. We've got a lot to answer for. You're going to have to believe that God is going to protect you. Even with the dumb decisions of your husband. Amen. Even when your husband makes a mistake and doesn't lead the best, you're going to have to trust God. And you have to learn to pray for him. Wouldn't that be a good thing to do, ladies? Pray for my husband? Yes. If he's in charge, you better pray for him. That's why we pray for our government. That's why we pray for Enda Kenny that he gets out. That's why we pray. <laughs> That's why we pray because they are in charge, whether we like it or not, aren't they? Amen? So we can't just go up there. We're going to burn down the four courts. Let's go burn all those politicians. We can't do that. The only thing that Christians can do is express their opinion, tell them we won't vote for them, tell them they're wrong, but then ultimately we have to submit, don't we? Amen. We don't riot. So you do have something to say. So say it. But pray about it. You know, this command is consistent throughout Scripture. Hold your place here. Go to Genesis chapter 3. Hold in your place there. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16. Actually, you can leave that because we'll go to five, uh, four Scriptures and then we'll come back to Ephesians. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16. Under the woman, this is God, talking to, Adam, uh, talking to Eve. Another woman, God said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. This is part of the curse of their disobedience to God. I'm going to make it hard for you to have children. I'm going to give you lots of children. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. And I made it so that thy desire shall be to thy husband. And he shall rule. Over the well, that's Old Testament. Uh, Colossians now. Go to the right, find Colossians. If you hit Hebrews, you've gone too far, come back from it. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Just after the book of Ephesians, 
comes Philippians, then Colossians. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. And it is fit in the Lord. Titus chapter 2. Go to the right a little bit more. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 verse 3. The aged women, the aged women, likewise, that they be in behaviors, becometh holiness. The older you get, the more godly you ought to get. Not false accusers, not going around talking about people, not giving them much wine. Teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, careful in how they speak and how they act, chaste, keepers at home. Good, here's the killer, obedient to their own husbands. Why? So that the word of God be not blasphemed. You know who's blaspheming the word of God? Probably not you, but the world is when they see us out of order. Go to 1 Peter. You're in Titus. Go to the right after the book of Hebrews. Titus, I'm sorry, uh, 1 Peter. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter chapter 3. One verse in the Old Testament, showing you four of them, five of them, if you include Ephesians, in the New Testament. Likewise, 1 Peter 3, 1, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Seems to be repeated, do you notice? That if any, if any husband obey not the word, they're not obedient to God's word, they, may, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation, the lifestyle of the wives. While they behold, while they watch your chaste conversation coupled with fear, Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating of the hair, but wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, we say, doll up. But instead of that, let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is a great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God, they adorned themselves in meekness, and in quiet spirits, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. So we've got the command consistent throughout Scripture, but then beyond that we have a comparison back to Ephesians now. Ephesians 5. Some of you ladies can't wait for me to get to the men. <laughs> Hold with me for a little bit longer. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. He gives us a comparison. He uses a reality that we already expect, and then he applies it to our home. He says in verse 23, For the husband, whether we like it or not, is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Is Jesus the head of the Christian church, yes or no? Yeah. Amen. He's the... He, the husband, is the savior of the body, just like Christ is the savior of the church. Verse 24, therefore, as the church is subject, obedient unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. There's a very powerful comparison there, where just as the church is subject and submissive and obedient to Christ, at least we are supposed to be, so should a wife be to her husband. True Christians, and that's why I, that's where we can look and draw a line by their fruits, you'll know them. Somebody says they're a Christian, but they live in rebellion. They won't come to church. They won't 
They won't uh, be obedient to the plain, simple scriptures of the Bible about anything. They're just doing it their own way. I wonder whether they're really saved. You see, the church is subject to Christ, isn't it? So if, if, if a Christian is not being submissive to Christ, it makes me wonder. Amen? It makes me wonder. Are they really saved? Because a lot of people have this, this idea that it's really, you know, Jesus is this, this, this spiritual fireman. He just keeps me out of hell. He wants to save you from hell, but he wants to give you a whole new life. And with that new life comes a new heart that wants to obey. If you didn't get that heart, I'd wonder, why would you want to keep the old one? I'm sick of my old one. I sure desperately need to live in the new man instead of this old nature all the time. So Paul gives a comparison. And he says, a person, person who claims to be married, just like a person who claims to be a Christian, are they under their authority? Are they under their authority? He adds one more thing, and he says, as Christ loved the church. I like that. The, the, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He's the Savior of the body. Therefore, the, the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be their own husbands in everything. There was a day where you were subject... There was a day, probably just at the beginning, where it was just all oh, that fairy tale type of marriage. You remember that? And where, oh, whatever you want to do, honey, uh, uh, whatever you want to eat, whatever, wherever you want to go, it was all easy back then. It lasted for three weeks. But you know, all the Christians in the world that are born again, one of these days are going to go to be with Jesus, and we're compared to his bride. We're compared to a relationship, and we're not coming in saying, you know, Lord, we need to make some change around this heaven home, you know? I kind of I don't I don't like the gold. I'd rather platinum. You know, God, come on, that's kind of passe. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that. And nobody's going to say that a wife doesn't have a hard job. But listen, folks, if your husband asks you to do something that's against Scripture, then don't do it. Respectfully say no. Esther teaches wives how to say no the right way. Don't be like Vashti and do it the wrong way. But if what your husband's deciding, like what car to buy, I'm using them as an example. And the Bible does not say, thou shalt not buy a Volkswagen. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say, don't buy a Volkswagen. Then let him leave. Amen? I'm abusing them, but they'll forgive me. They love me. Don't use, it's hard as an excuse. Don't use cultures. I've had so many people say, well, we don't have that kind of culture where I come from. I could care less, and so does God. God doesn't care what kind of culture you come from. I know most of the cultures in the world are matriarchal. Mama runs the thing, and Daddy's only happy if he's drinking. Is that the kind of home you want to have? Dad's only happy if he's with his buddy. Don't you dare, don't you dare use your culture as an excuse. We're trying to get a Bible culture. We're trying to go, well, that's what the Bible says. So be it. Amen. And don't use your husband's flaws and faults as an excuse. Well, my husband's not saved. I use that with my dad. I remember my dad when I was three years in Bible college and I was ready to quit. I got a three-year degree, so I could quit. It wasn't that I was a quitter, but I had only gone three years, and there was a fourth year that I should have gone. But I, my dad, who had never, ever wanted me to go to Bible college, every time I was with him, he says, you still have that Bible college? I said, yes, Dad. I'm where God wants me. He heard me say that so many times when after three years I said, and he said, so you still have the Bible college? I says, nope, I'm finished up. I'm, 
I'm now going off and going to go to the ministry. He said, no, you're not. What do you mean, Dad? He says, you're staying one more year. You're gonna, none of my sons are going to be quitters. I, I'm not quitting, Dad. He said, you're finishing your fourth year. Where did he get that from? My dad, who thinks I was, I was in the wrong place, wasting my money, going to a Bible college, when my dad said, no, you're not going to finish early. You're going to stay for the fourth year. I went back, and I remember praying. I said, Lord, that is stupid. I'm not listening to my dad. He's not even saved. My dad didn't quote scripture. My dad wasn't, wasn't being spiritual. He just says, you don't quit. You don't finish early. And I'm talking to the Lord. And I remember the Lord, like one of those things where just a pow on the back of the head. And he said, that was me, God said. Obey him. My dad's not even saved. You know what? If I had to disobeyed my dad, I never would have met Nita. Oh. Yeah, boy. Don't you dare tell me, well, my husband's not saved. I don't have to obey him. You are so wrong. Can't use his flaws. Well, my husband hadn't made a right decision since we got married. We doubt that too. Think about that. <laughs> anyway, I don't care whether he makes all the wrong decisions. You know the best thing to do? Support him anyway. Pray for him anyway. Love him anyway. Encourage him anyway. Help him pick up the mess after each time. Make a man out of him. Amen. Amen. I know you don't like that. <laughs> the Bible says it's complete. He says in everything. In everything. Now, in war, you have lots of excuses, but not in love. What are, how are we supposed to walk? Walk in love. Walk in love. That's the command, isn't it? That's how we do it. How do you love, wife? Ladies? You show your love to God by joyfully submitting to your husband's leadership. Remember when you were a kid? Your dad said, take out the rubbish. Why am I always, why do I take the rubbish out? I hate kicking the rubbish out. Kick the rubbish out. Kick the rubbish out. Is that how you're supposed to obey? Is that how you're supposed to submit? Ladies, how are you when it comes to submitting? You show your love to your husband by joyfully submitting, by yielding, by letting him be in charge of the home. So let him lead and pray for him when he does. You know, God knows what he's doing. Did he give us the instructions or did I make this up? This is not from America. This is not from Rome. This is from heaven. Amen. Amen. That's your turn, gentlemen. Button your vests. Look at verse 25. You notice there's only three verses about the lady and then about eight million other ones for the men. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife actually loveth who? Actually, loves himself. For no man yet ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Jesus made us like him. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be 
one flesh. Now, I, this is a great mystery. Paul's saying this is something nobody will ever figure out completely and understand like, like a scientist. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but husbands, love your wives is a command as well. You're commanded to love your wife. Doesn't that sound simple? <laughs> so he didn't finish with that. He says, as Christ also loved the church. Wow. Did you know we're commanded to love? Where else are we commanded to love? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind. This is the first and great. So we're commanded to love. Gentlemen, we're commanded to love our wives. It's a commandment just as important as loving God. We don't do either very well, do we, gentlemen? Listen to those words. You see, the wife loves her husband by submitting to him as the church submits to the Lord. But the husband loves his wife as the Lord Jesus sacrificially loves his church. Two different directions. Focused on the other person. So what does it mean to love your wife? You ready? It means to honor and prefer her ahead of ourselves. See, I can prefer her ahead of somebody else. But it's harder to prefer my wife over me. Ouch. It means to serve her like Christ served his disciples and washed their feet. That's what it means to love your wife. It means to serve her. Well, I thought she was going to cook the dinner. I thought she was going to clean the house. Uh, you know, when Nita was over in the States, I don't know what Dan... I, I never checked on Dan's house. I can only guess. But I know in my house, I used dishes very Rarely. <laughs> My wife would, we'd be talking, she says, have you hoovered the house yet? I went, no, I haven't. You know why? Because I'm not getting it dirty. <laughs> I hate cleaning up. Wow, man. How many... My point is, see, I didn't, I didn't want to do all that stuff, but now that she's here, <laughs> we were noticing the other day, she came in and she said, this house just gets a wreck. And I want to say, wasn't that way when I was alone? <laughs> it just happens, man. We let our guard down, everything, I mean, just piles up. What do you do? It's family, amen. Not a problem, not a problem. But the point is, do I expect her to always clean it up? I hate cleaning up. She's, my wife's so efficient. She's over there. And I, she, she says, don't use me as an example. But anyway, anyway, I come in and she tells me, she says, clean up as you go along. I'm going, I, this is another language. I don't understand. I don't understand. Clean up as I make my sandwich. It doesn't work. <laughs> but you know what she needs me to do? Clean up. That's sacrificing me for her. Amen. Amen. That's yes. It is not your head, you stinking lousy knucklehead. It means sacrificially. Serve her. What did Jesus wash when he taught him about greatness? What did he wash? Their feet. Usually a woman's feet are a whole lot cleaner than a man's feet. All right? I'm not going there. Don't even think. <laughs> but you think for a second, gentlemen, what would it do to your wife if she knew you were doing something out of service, and out of love, and out of sacrifice? 
of what you want and what you will allow yourself to do, but you'd rather do what she wants. You love your wife by sacrificing yourself and your wants. That's how you love your wife. I already love my wife. Probably not the best way. That's why God had to write it out in particulars, didn't he? Another way that you love your wife is to listen to her. That means to give in. I can't say it. To give in to her. In other words, if she sees, different, sees things different than you do, you'd better have a very good reason to not give in. Because I found her to be more right than me. So listen to her. Also means to cherish. You notice that thing. Guys cherish themselves. I mean, we, we stand in front of the mirror and we go. <laughs> we look at our wife and go, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Come on, don't you have a better dress? Come on, we're going out. You know? <laughs> to cherish means to hold close and to protect, to appreciate, to be tender with. That's what it means to love your wife. It also means to nourish. It means to feed and strengthen and help her in her weakness. There's enough here for us to stay busy for a month learning about. Would you agree? How do I develop my nourishing time with my wife? Or do is it just like, all right, what do you want to talk about? Can we get this over with? I've got a game to watch. But when he says sacrifice, he says there in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself. He's talking about to sacrifice what you want so that you can give her what she wants. I don't give her everything she wants. Don't think that every time somebody hears me, they always think of the extreme. You mean I have to give her everything she wants? No, you don't. It just means that when you spend money on yourself, make sure you spend more on her. Whenever you're spending time on yourself, make sure you spend more time with her. I don't know how to do that. I'm pulled in 17 different directions, and I'm like, man, how do I spend time with her? That, that is sufficient for her. That's the, that's the rub. That's the hard thing. Amen? If I'm going to love my wife, I need to look at my time and go, I bet she needs me. I bet she just wants me. They did. I think I told you this. They did a thing where they had kids come in and they had their parents come in. And the parents, they filmed and says, what do you think your kids want? And didn't, that's all they asked. And they said, oh, I think my son wants an Xbox. I think my kids want to go to Disney World. I think my kids want a, uh, a bike. I think it'll... And so they set the kids there. And there's like eight different families. And the children all sat down there and says, what would you, if you had the chance to ask your parents for something, what would you ask? And all eight kids sat down there and said, wish I had time with my dad. Wish my mom would teach me to cook. I wish we could go to the beach. I wish I just had my mom and dad spend time with me. If that's true for kids, it's true for people. Your wife, gentlemen, needs, needs us. Sacrifice some things. If what she needs is not against the scriptures, and there's not a question there, come on, then give it to her. Even though it costs you what you want instead. So be proactive. Look at your schedule and go, you know, I've scheduled everything but her. Sure, you can walk away from your comfort zone. That's why the Bible gives you illustration. He says, verse 31, For this cause shall a man leave his father's mother. I'm sure he loves his mother's cooking. 
I'm sure he loves his family home. I'm sure he loves the comfort of all the, the protection and all the stability of his home. And as he steps out, he abandons that because he's sacrificing that comfort so that he can be what she needs. That's sacrifice. Whatever you're comfortable with, gentlemen, when she pushes you out of your comfort zone, go. Show her you can walk away from your comfort zone when the baby in the middle of the night is crying. Quit praying. Lord, please help her to have a good spirit and get up in front of me. (laughs) Yeah. You know, get up and iron the clothes, gentlemen. Give your wife a heart attack. Now, learn how to iron before you iron. (laughs) There are plenty of YouTubes. Learn how to iron and then iron. Clean the windows. You know, it's coming up to spring. Give your wife a heart attack. She gets up and she looks out the window. And she, oh, I can see. <laughs> Clean the windows. Do something for her, man. Sacrifice your time. Give of yourself. Now, you know you can do this. You know what's funny? Let me come back to this. You know you can do this because you already did it. Every one of you who got married, every one of you were the sweetest, nicest, the most sickly sweet person on the planet, and you know it. Then you, then you got over it. You need to get back to that. You need to be a servant to your wife. Now, what that does not mean, that doesn't mean try to make her happy. That's not your job. To make her happy. Yes, please her. But you know, you'll never make her happy. She needs Christ to do that. She needs a walk with God. You need to encourage her walk with God. You need to show her how to walk with God. You need to pray for her. You need to lift her up. You need to encourage her. You need to trust God as an example to her. You can't please her in everything. Woe is the house where everyone worries about whether mom's happy or not. You ever hear the phrase, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? You ever heard that phrase? What was the house that has that problem? It doesn't mean cleansing her of sin either. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can save your wife. Your best efforts cannot save yourself. I'm trying to get my husband to get saved. I'm trying to get my wife to get saved. You can do all possible and you can't save her. Jesus can don't you try to be the savior of her soul. doesn't mean that you're going to make her holy and without flaws. No man married a, no man married a woman knowing all the flaws. All we saw was perfection when we got married, gentlemen. Amen. Well, the more flaws you see, the more you're going to try to fix. We're fixers. You bring out hammers and your wife goes, no, 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 that's not for you. Sorry. <laughs> Hammer and nail. We want to fix things. Don't try to fix everything. All her flaws aren't your business to fix. Amen. Jesus fixes that stuff. Preaching fixes that. Other ladies, especially older ladies, fix that. That's why Christians need to be in church. That's why you need to bring your daughters here. That's why what we have here does more than just get together on a Sunday. It fixes homes. Too many men have been destroyed by wives who expected their husbands to be all that they need. Believe me, that will kill you. Teach them. Teach them. Show them. I can't do it all. Let's pray. Let's leave it to the Lord. 
you can do something. You can do something. Now, he gives us a comparison. Look in verse 25 and verse 28 still again. He says, husbands, love your wives. And he gives that comparison. As Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. You see, Paul says, gentlemen, love your wife as Christ loved you. Was there a lot to you that is hard to love? Gentlemen, you don't believe it. <laughs> but there's a lot to us that is hard to love, Leo. Amen. And as Christ has loved you and put up with you and not killed you yet, you ought to love your wife. Don't poison her. Don't think about it. Amen. Lover, remember, Jesus was the greatest, the greatest man born ever, the God man. And yet, as the perfect man, he loved an imperfect church, didn't he? Amen. Thank God. A lot to work on, gentlemen. To love your wife like Christ loves you. And to love her like you love yourself. Mm. <clears throat> There's a cost, though. There always is. Then in verse 25, he says, And gave himself for it. And then run down to verse 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they, twain, they too shall be one flesh. There's a sacrifice, as we already said, not just of your money and not just of your time, not even of just your career, but the sacrifice of you. That's what saviors do. Saviors die. Amen? Loving, here's the creek. Here's, here's, I thought about this last night. Loving that woman will wear you out. That's not going to be easy. And you haven't experienced love yet. You're still in the romantic stage. You're still in the fairy tale stage. Real love will wear you out. Amen. But it is complete. Verse 30 says this. He says, For we, for we are members of his body, and of his flesh and his bones. We've been made one. Verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Verse, uh, the, oh, verse 31 for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and they too shall be how many flesh? Now this is a crazy thought. As I thought about these things, I thought, you're no longer two, you are how many? You're one. That sounds so easy. But to God, you are one person. You now have been given, gentlemen, two additional hands. You've been given two additional feet. You've been given two additional eyes. You've been given two additional minds. You've been given 15 different new emotions. <laughs> and you've been given an, addi an additional heart. What does that mean? I only have two, but when I got married, I got two more. And just like this right hand is not preferred over the left, and I only wash and only tend to this right hand and ignore the left, neither should I tend to only my life and ignore hers. She's just as much a part of me as my right hand and my right leg are. Amen? We're one now. We're one. We're complete. And that's a good thing. God looked down and he says, there's one thing lacking in this universe and that's the man is alone. It's not good. Let's make him a wife. So be the body. Be one. That God forwards when he puts you together. Now there's a challenge. 
Verse 32 tells us there is a challenge to a married couple. Verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak, and husband and wives, I speak concerning Christ and the church. It's a marriage challenge. What that means is we're to be an example to the world. Because a Christian home is different. We're not talking about, listen, I've read and, and looked at and studied so many, and there's so many things that I'm lacking and that I'm not doing and that need to be worked on. But what's the core issue? What's the big issue? And the big issue is I've got to make it work. I don't care what it takes. I've got to make it work because the world has no idea what love is and doesn't know what the Christian life is and doesn't know what the gospel is all about until they see it. Until they see it between two different people and it working out and changing them and bonding them and making them survive and making them even better than they were before they got married. <clears throat> now, a Christian home is different. You're supposed to be an example to the world of everything there is about biblical Christianity, especially its love. Hey, you watching all of these Muslim terrorists and all the hatred and all the anger they have? Is that what you want your home like? I hope not. How about a home that's sweet? I think that Bible never meant for any of us to have a home that's full of ISIS terrorists. Without sweet, submissive, loving homes, the world will never conceive of the gospel. Never understands just how powerful it is. And it's not that it's easy, but it's there. And it's for every person who believe it and follow it. Walking in love. So here's your conclusion. A Christian marriage is not a power struggle, is not a partnership, is not a fairy tale paradise. It is a deeply amazing union. Two different people who passionately love Jesus Christ more than they love each other. Out of that love, you'll find the strength and the ability to love your spouse like you should. You're not going to be able to do it on your own. not going to be able to do it willpower. I, I'd be great if you just determine I'm never going to get a divorce. I'm never going to have problems. I'm never going to let her um, uh, ever push me to, to, to leave or whatever. I'm never going to let him push me where I will want to get a divorce. You can have that willpower and praise God if you have that. But very few people will ever survive that way. You're going to need to walk in the Spirit. You're going to have to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God and you're going to have to learn a lot of humility. God has given three challenges. One to the wife, one to the husband, and one to both of them. First one was to love by submitting for the wife. Secondly, to love by sacrificing. And thirdly, to be an example to our world of what love really is. I think the world is crying out for an example. Homer Simpson is not going to show him. I'm going to give you one more challenge, all right? You ready? And it's a hard challenge. You see, the world in this generation is never going to do this stuff. As a matter of fact, many of you are going to go right out of here in 10 minutes. You won't even remember what I've said. The devil is waiting right up. He's probably sitting right next to you. Sorry, Mona. Sorry, Anita. <laughs> probably sitting right next to you and as soon as we stand and we get ready to do the invitation I'm never going to give in that's what's going to come to fill your heart I am never going to give that man one inch I'm never going to give that woman one opportunity that's the devil wouldn't it be a shame if you heard the truth and you said no that's how people go to hell because they hear about the love of Jesus Christ they hear about 
God becoming a man down on the cross for the whole world and people going, yeah. What do you have to do to go to hell? Nothing. What do you have to do to have hell on earth in your home? Nothing. Because it just happens. But if you want to have a home, sweet home, you're going to have to take those three challenges. If you're finding it hard, take the fourth one. Get a new heart. Isn't that what Ezekiel 36, that's our memory verse for this whole year. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. That's what we need, don't we? Take away the, the, the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Father, please bless these thoughts to every home. Not just the ones that are here, but the future ones. Not just the ones that are surviving, but the ones that are broken. Lord, I pray that there would be a a desire to have a sweet home. A place where there is joy. It's not going to be perfect. You didn't list any of the requirements for a perfect home. You gave requirements for a godly home. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's freedom. There's joy. There's light. We can walk in love. We can walk in the Spirit. We can, we can walk in the light. We've got to take a good look around and say, what lies have we been believing? We need to dump and now do it your way. Lord, I thank you for the gospel. I pray that we would live it now in our homes. In Jesus' name, amen.